the core cast. Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast to the Arv Generation Shmup Club. This is the family-friendly Shmup-themed podcast that has more firepower than a fully loaded Corgi. From RFGeneration.com, I am Metal Fro, also known as Game Boy Guru, and my co-pilot on this mission is... Addicted, known as Addicted to Shmups. And we have a guest with us today, and that is none other than BB, a.k.a. Ben from Underbog Games. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Great to be here. Uh, Before we kick things off, if you would like to connect with us, please follow us on Twitter at ShootCoreCast. You can follow me directly at GameBoyGuru. You'll find the link to links to all of our podcast feeds on our Linktree page. That is linktr.ee slash ShootTheCoreCast. Please join RFGeneration.com and join us for a, sh- a future Shmup Club playthrough. And uh, as well, if you would, please subscribe, rate, like, review, etc. Uh, the podcast on your favorite service. Also join the RF Generation Discord channel. And we've got a dedicated Shoot the Corecast topic there where we talk podcasts, shooter games um kind of all things shooting in general you know as far as stgs and of course uh, the shmup club where we post uh stuff about the games screenshots of our high scores strategies all of those sorts of things also because i stream the game of the month multiple times throughout each month please follow me on twitch uh, twitch.tv slash guru gameboy yeah and i have to say i really like the database of our generation there i mean even has obscure stuff like text mexium the text adventures you know, for the commodore 64 or even the vic 20 version which is even rarer i think it was only released in brazil i mean that type of stuff you just won't find in any other common database and if you're a collector and you make sure that you get there it's really the place to be, and I can't tell you again how many was either searching for something Tex-Mexian based or you know trying to find deep space waifus unlimited for the Switch. Just troublesome stuff, but thankfully it's all there, so that way I can catalog and remember. So I'm not buying 20 copies of each. So here's the question. Do you own a Brazilian VIC-20? I'm going to have to buy one now, aren't I? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, let's dive right into our question of the month. And I threw this out on Twitter and out on the Discord. Which randomized elements do you think enhance a shooting game the most? And do you have an example? And right out of the gate, WLTR3565 said... For a more casual play, Psycho Stage, or Psycho Style Stage, randomization is one of the best examples of it. 
uh, Stride Games said, when your bullets have a chance to bounce off and depending on the material it hits, the angle of the bounce is different too. I'm not sure I've played a game that does that. Yeah, and I think in a a subsequent tweet, Strides Games linked or had a a GIF or something showing that, uh, I don't remember what the game was, but I think it might have been actually the game that Strides Games is working on. Um, So, one to check Ah, out. I see. Hmm. The ever-present Dougley007 says, Something about how the art style is on Biohazard Beth, the on Genesis. I think I like games that are just not all ships. Indeed. Yeah, there's something about just going with the weirdness. I think shmups are the best genre if you like weird protagonists, you know, in a game genre where a finger can be a protagonist. Uh, anything goes. Right. A flying finger, flying lollies, you know, all kinds of weird creatures and stuff like that. Uh, Oops All Vibes from the Discord said, Non-static boss patterns. Complain all you want. Purely static patterns are boring and need to be unfairly dense to compensate. And to that I'll just say, Speak for yourself. Some of us need training wheels. <laughs> uh, Moby Chan says, I don't mind when enemy aiming has a bit of wobble to it, but in general, I don't like glaring random elements in shmups. I do agree about the, the wobble. I do like a bit of wobble. Yeah, keeps things interesting. Mm. Shadow Kyoshiragi says, I'm agreement with the non-stack boss patterns. At least randomize the patterns that do occur. Man, people are piling up against you, Guru. Yeah, that's okay. I, I can deal with some degree of randomness. I, I got a hard time either way, so... Uh, you know, it's just... It's just my lot in life. Uh, SPM said, I love random patterns and movements mixed with fixed ones. It forces you to come up with a route to avoid the static patterns with enough room to adapt to the randomness. Lots of times, the RNG comes from Zakos, or popcorn enemies. Uh, But one case I love is DOJ's fourth stage in the second half, with fixed Zakos and random turrets. I'm not a fan of RNG if it affects scoring, though, which could be the case in DOJ now that I think about it. But I don't care for its scoring system anyway, so it's fine. Corkman or Fireshark MD says, I liked how in Project Starship X there would be waves of enemies or an event in a stage that would be randomized. You could learn how to deal with the enemies or events, but you never knew in the stage when they would happen. It keeps you on your toes. Very that's, much so. That's also, yeah. I really like that too. I like, love that game, actually. Yeah, uh, it's a fantastic game. Drake Tunston says, hmm, I don't know. Maybe something that makes a little bit more Twitch reaction. I'm trying to think, was, is there something that's Twitch reaction that would be randomized? I mean, it's. Yeah, I guess he means like less memorization based yeah. and more uh, focused on dodging. Yeah, right. Yeah, that would make sense too. Uh, a little bit less. Um, the key, the key apply style and something a, l- a little bit more twitch when you're playing. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. 
probably a little bit more old school or, uh, you know, something that where the bullets may be more aimed or uh, the patterns probably less dense, I would assume. All right. Well, not a lot of respondents this month, but thank you to all who did respond and gave us some some fun answers. So let's roll into our focus shot discussion uh, about Mushihime-sama. And I wanted to ask, since you're here, Ben, what is, uh, what's your experience with Mushihime-sama? Uh, it's a great game. Um, I've played a, a, enough of it to have cleared uh, 1.5 uh, mode. Wow. The DLC, I should say. Uh, 1.5 original, I should say. Um, which is the easiest mode, barring the novice modes, I, w- I would say. Yeah, that was probably one of my first 1ccs, actually. After Crimson Clover and Dodan Punchy uh, DFK, or Resurrection, 1.5. Nice. So, yeah, uh, on the... Um, it's still not an easy game, but um, on the easier side of the spectrum, perhaps. But a really fun one. Yeah, I was wondering about when you said that you cleared 1.5, that you said, aside from the novice mode, is maybe mm-hmm. the easiest. What is it about 1.5 that you think makes it easier? Easier than 1.0? Is that what Than 1.0 or a range, I guess. A range I find pretty difficult, or actually I, f- I haven't had much success in the Maniac modes at all, to be honest. Although I haven't really dug into them. Uh, I think 1.5, there is more, you have more shot power, and there's more enemy bullets, but correspondingly there's also more slowdown, so it makes it a bit uh, easier to find your way around, I think. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because I was I was messing around with uh, a range and 1.5 earlier, and just sort of credit fed through them to see and compare the two modes. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I mentioned before in the previous episode that I'm probably going to abandon my hopes of clearing 1.0 before the end of the year, and just start mm-hmm. playing the other modes, just so I can get a better familiarity with them, and and hopefully when we go to record a full episode about Mushi, that I'll be able to speak to all of the modes a little bit more in depth. But, yeah, I I was trying to figure out, between the two, which might be the easier one to clear. I think for a range, you could say that there are no conditions to reaching the TLB, you just get the TLB, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. But those patterns are insane, and I, yeah, I think I think minus the TLB, that might be one of the easier modes. But the TLB kind of brings it to another level. Oh yeah, I know there's a trick to being in the center of the sort of fire pattern that comes out. I've watched some playthroughs that do that. Um, but I, when I was doing that earlier, I was sitting there thinking, this game has this magic pixel thing going on where you have such a tiny hitbox, and yet 
every single time this pattern comes out, I'm hitting this this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was a little frustrated with it. But 1.5, I think I could see that being a bit more approachable. Yep. I didn't realize that you had better shot power in that mode. I mean, obviously you start out with a heavier load. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, fully upgraded, it might be similar shot power, but it also... Uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the super shot mechanic. Um, so I think you get the super shot without having to do anything special in 1.5. Like you have the level of firepower that you would have in 1.0 using super shot, if that makes sense. Right. And I'm still a little fuzzy on the super shot because the mm-hmm. new ports have so many different options for firing. Yeah. You know, you've got you've got your regular fire which you tap or then hold for focus. You've got your rapid which is just like your standard C button uh, on the arcade. And then mm-hmm. you've got full auto and rapid full auto. So it's a little bit confusing. And I know that expert players uh, who have played on the the Steam release have certain times where they'll switch between the different shot types and mm-hmm. I'm just not that fancy. So, you know, I tend to I tend to stick between just the what is it, the rapid full auto, I think, or the full auto. Whichever one allows yep. you to shoot both your um, regular shot and then the option shot at the same time so that I always have that higher level of firepower. So between that and and the you know the focus shot. But yeah, 1.5 the thing that messes me up about 1.0 is the bullet speeds. There's so much going on and bullets get really fast and it's a little fast for a cave game for me uh, and so mm-hmm. I struggle with that, but 1.5, I feel like with the speeds being slower and especially as the screen gets more full and you can just go with focus shot, you slow the game down enough that I feel like it'll be easier for me to read patterns and things and learn the game better. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, For what it's worth, I've never once you said original mode. I feel like it's not significantly more difficult, but certainly more difficult than 1.5. Yeah. I hit the wall in stage three and just have never been able to progress. Yeah. And some of it is... Well, that's the hardest stage in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, stage five is is difficult too, but I feel like stage three is, as you said, it's really the wall in that game. If you can get through stage three, I think you're doing pretty well yeah stage three is it's such a cool stage too with the giant Mm. you know battleship bug if you will it's a really cool concept and i think it's well executed i just have a hard time with reading everything and screen positioning and some of that um so i haven't i haven't quite been able to do it i'd like to eventually but for now, I'm going to abandon that and just move on to 
the other modes to get a better idea of how they compare. Cool. Uh, what, what about you, Addicted? Have you spent much time with 1.5 or a range? As far as 1.5, I messed around a little bit. I found it an easier mode, but I've been sticking mainly with 1.0 because that's where the majority of my practice is. I figure I might have the best shot, and maybe that's delusional, but uh, I, I keep trying on there. The interesting thing about Mushi for me is I came from playing Futari first, so it's a little bit of adjustment, and when I got to stage four, I thought things were flying pretty fast, but now I go back to it and think that it's so much easier after putting a little bit of practice on there. It, it, it gives a good first impression of being intimidating, but it's with a little bit of practice, it's certainly easier than I thought it would be. I'm by no means an expert, but the curve to getting better isn't as steep as I thought it would be. In Futari? In non-Futari, in uh, Mushi. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, coming from Futari, going to Mushi, it's easier. Going from Mushi to Futari, well, that's a different story, especially when you start getting into stage four in Futari. Mm. Everything just flies at you really quick there. You know, as they would say in Spaceballs, ludicrous speed. <laughs> okay, interesting. So, I might have to then definitely focus on a range and 1.5 um, so that you can maybe clinch the victory in 1.0 before the end of the year and uh, then you can talk more extensively about that mode lots of time and caffeine <laughs> yes yeah, I know one of my things is I was hoping to try and make some time where I could sit down and play it every day. Just even if it was 15, 20 minutes, just to kind of keep up with it. But I've not been able to do that. Uh, work and life has been busy. And most of the time, the game time I get is what you see on stream. I'll occasionally sneak other stuff in. Uh, and I'll mention that again later in the episode, but yeah, I just don't get as much game time as I'd like to have. Mm -hmm. I think you speak for all of us here. <laughs> Probably so. The, uh, the difficulties of being an adult gamer who has to adult. <laughs> you know that old saying there, adulting one out of five stars would not recommend <laughs> yes alright anything else to say about Mushi before we move on nope fine game <laughs> alright well let's move into shmup news the big news that kind of came out uh, essentially the day after we recorded the last episode is that Radiant Silver Gun has been released on the Switch uh, it was been handled by Livewire, and we're also getting a physical version through Limited Run Games. And that's going to come in a standard version, a steelbook, and also a collector's edition, which I'm a sucker and decided to pre-order. <laughs> so I'll be getting uh, that collector's edition probably next year. 
Is this a port of the 360 version, or do you know if it's uh, LiveWire's own port? My understanding is that it's kind of a port of the 360 version, but there have been yeah, some additional tweaks. Yeah. Well, the 360 and version's not terrible, so it's a good place to start. Right. And I guess when the game popped up, uh, you know, it had been featured in, I think, the Nintendo Direct, and then it showed up on the eShop, and it was up for a little bit. People noticed some issues with it. Then it got taken down, but not because of those issues. Uh, it was apparently due to some kind of ESRB rating snafu, and it got re-rated, and then a few days later it showed back up again. Uh, I don't know the status of patching the audio issues that people had noticed, but hopefully that will all be resolved so that when we get the physical version that it'll have any patches up to that point. Yeah, hopefully this is, a again, a sign of things to come where we're getting re-releases from here. It wouldn't surprise me now that Limited Run Games is owned by Embracer Group that we see them go back to the well. I mean, for example, we see a PS5 or a PSX version of Radiant Silvergun. It may have seemed like a pipe dream a couple of years ago, but well, how often they are re-releasing titles, it's not out of the question at this point. Right. And, of course, one of the fun little deals within the Collector's Edition is that, much like they did for their Battle Garega um, release on PS4, they're including a long box Sega Saturn case that with you know Radiant Silvergun art on it and stuff, as if the game had been released in North America. Be careful and on that. If a, you look at it wrong, it may break. Yeah, <laughs> right. But so that's kind of a fun little thing. I mean, I would absolutely love it if they could somehow find a way to re-release actual Saturn games and bring us stuff like Garega and Silvergun, etc. in a Saturn version. Kind of like what they announced they were going to do with um, uh, Rondo of Blood on the Turbo CD. Which hasn't happened yet, but supposedly it's still forthcoming. Yeah, well, I mean, even think about the uh, Contra Collection, that came out sort of late this year, didn't it? Or was it summer of this year? So things are behind, for sure. But it, it did eventually come out, so I wouldn't surprise me if it's like Q1 of 2023 for Rondo. Yeah, that would be nice. Speaking of nice, never awake from developer Nitro, or the developer of Veritra will be getting a Japanese physical on PS4, PS5, and Switch. A standard edition is available, as well as a premium version that includes the CD soundtrack. The PS4 version includes a free upgrade to the PS5. This is one that's been on my radar of late. I need to check it out. But from what I've seen of gameplay on Twitch, it looks pretty fun. Have you had a chance to try this? Uh, I have not. Um, but I think it's Twin Stick. Uh, where it's an auto-scrolling twin-stick shooter, so yep. your character uh, flies around the screen and the levels auto-scroll and then you get to use the right stick to sort of aim your shots and stuff. 
but it, it looks interesting. It's a unique art style. Yeah, it looks really cool. I, I want to give it a go sometime. Probably pick it up on Steam at some point. Yeah, it looks like it'll be good. Indie shooter Drainus will be coming to Switch thanks to play publisher Playism. No word on a physical yet, though. Yeah, and I want to say... What was the other game that Team Ladybug did? I can't remember off the top of my head. The Metroidvania game, but I, I cannot recall what it was called. Oh, you're talking about uh, oh, Lotus War? yes. Deedlet and uh, Toho Luna Knights, those two? Yeah, they did Toho Luna Knights and then Record of Lotus War, Deedlet and Wonder Labyrinth. Yeah. Wonder Labyrinth got a physical, so I'm kind of hoping Drainus will as well. But we'll have to wait and see. Well, uh, Record of Lotus was uh, Red Art, right? It's a U.S. publishing form of Red Art, which I, don't, I, I still don't understand how they produce like 6 million copies for Europe, but then U.S. gets like 2,000. I, I don't know. Maybe it just doesn't sell that well here. But it's always surprising. Whenever I see their stuff on games, always make sure to at least throw some money in there because the chance of finding a second copy gets harder and harder. Right. Development continues on the uh, Genesis Indie Shmup ZPF or ZPF, um, though there's still no concrete release date. Um, but I noticed the there was a tweet from Grizor, who's doing the pixel art for the game, and uh, who did the art for uh, Super XYX, and this game is looking really good, and so I'm very much looking forward to this. Yeah, this looks pretty interesting. I, I'm definitely looking and checking out, as with all new STGs, you never know what someone's going to come up with, and there's always something new or interesting to check out. That's why I'm very happy that we're not in the late mid to late 2000s anymore, you know, the, the, what they effectively call the aughts, where things are, people were asking, why don't you check out Schmops? It feels like we have a, a, a renaissance this stage there's always a plethora of titles to choose from big time so konami apparently held a contest called konami action and shooting game contest where independent independent developers took konami properties and made new games with them the contest winner was an update of their maze of gallius game but several shmup themed finalists were represented including a game called star soldier revive multiverse a modern update on the star soldier for formula Rewa Edition Parodius and Twimby Loop, the mystery of the planet of light and darkness. A roguelite Twimby game where players must continue to loop the game. Jeez, that, you know, I, I, all sound pretty good, but Twimby Loop? That almost sounds like it, K- Konami would just fund that by itself and it's a phone game where you have to put in microtransactions. Twimby <laughs> Endless Loop. <laughs> yeah. I would love to be able to play some of these things, but I'm not sure if they're out there anywhere. Who knows with Konami, but... Well, it's coming to a pachinko machine near you. (laughs) It's just interesting that Konami did this contest and people are making essentially Konami games. So, I don't know. Indie devs are doing Konami's job for them, I guess. (laughs) Well, this could be sort of interesting on there if we actually get some a good way to recruit talent, keep costs low, and then if you have an idea that comes out of here, you can flesh it out. And and we're at the point now where you can 
throw this up on an eShop. I mean, it's Konami, so I'm not sure so much Steam, but you could throw up on a console major, you know, Konami's forte with uh, mobile phones and make some good money with this. It, you know, pachinko machines do not an empire make, or health clubs. Okay, so it, right. And so I could see this as a way to attract new talent, get people interested, and to revitalize some long dormant franchise. Let's face it, Comedy themselves is not going to do a lot with their franchises. Yeah, it would be nice if they could go the Sega route. And, you know, with Sega, we got Sonic Mania because of the strong fan games, uh, Sonic fan games that were going on. And so that they just parlayed that into a really good 2D Sonic game. And I think if Konami could open up the gates a little bit and allow some folks to do those kinds of things, we might be able to get a Gradius 6 or something along those lines. I'd certainly be up for it. Yeah, I know oh, it's sorry. Not- I was just going to say, I know it's not a Konami franchise, but I, they are uh, publishing a new indie shmup being made. Uh, yeah, Signy. Signy, all guns blazing. So um, they obviously do still have some interest in the shmup arena, I guess. Yeah. I think the shmup community... <clears throat> at least the more hardcore community that I've seen is looking at Signy skeptically right now, but obviously yep. until anyone's played it, you know, it's all, it's all just opinions based on teaser trailers and yeah. such. Yeah. Well, whole judgment to it is actually released, I think. Right. All right. Next item. Oh. Squad 15 versus the Flying Saucers is now out on Steam. It's actually 51. That was a typo. Ah, you're right. Squad 51. It used to be called Squadron... Just Squadron 51. Is that right? Yep. Now it's Squad 51 versus the Flying Saucers. Yeah. This game looks bonkers in the right way. Um, Yeah, the the art style was amazing, eh? Just the... The look of it. Yeah. I mean, it, it looks like a 1950s B-movie sci-fi flick come to life. And I really enjoy that aesthetic. Um, and I think it looks... As a shooter, I don't know how mechanically great it's going to be. But I was looking at the Steam reviews earlier. And so far, most of them are pretty positive. So... I'm definitely going to have to pick this one up. Uh, The Night Witch is a Metroidvania and shmup hybrid that is due out on Steam uh, November 29th, and there is a demo available. I have downloaded the demo, but I have not played it yet. But it looks really good. The art style is really nice, and it looks promising. That's cool. I haven't heard of this one. <laughs> I have to check it out. Yeah, it's it's got a very cute style to it, um, but your your witch character, I don't know if she ever lands, uh, because all the footage I saw 
looked like she was just flying the whole time. So, kind of neat. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I'll have to check it out. <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of uh, Sigma Star Saga for the Game Boy Advance. Mm. Oh, that's not a Metroidvania. That's more of an RPG slash uh, STG. But, but still, I mean, you don't see like stuff like this come across often. Right. And speaking of stuff you don't see often, there's a demo on YouTube showing footage of someone attempting to recode Summer Carnival Rekka or Summer Carnival 92 Rekka for the Sega Master System. I have a soft spot for the Sega Master System. I, I sort of came to it late and started playing games probably right after it's left, ended its original retail run. But a lot of the games I've been playing on it recently were pretty impressive. I had a chance to play a little bit of Power Strike recently, and we played uh, Flight of the Pigress a couple years ago. I'm all in for trying out new ST, well, re por even ported STGs at this point to the Master System. I think it's a bit of an undervalued console, and no, I'm not going to say the words. I will not invoke Metal Jesus. <laughs> yeah. This, the footage that I saw on YouTube. This looks insane. Rekka is so impressive for the Famicom hardware, and it looks equally impressive on the Master System or Mark III. So I really hope this project continues and totally comes to fruition, because I would love to see this and uh, you know see this game continue to get recognition. Sofstar physicals are available for pre-order now through Red Art Games for PS4, PS5, and Switch. Yeah, and I haven't had the time to mess with this one, but I know, Addicted, you said that you were really digging it. Yeah, this may be one of my favorite games that I've had a chance to play this year. I really like the pacing and stuff. It's been a little bit at this point... From playing, I think it was more of like a late spring, early summer that I played, but I'm definitely looking forward to go back to it, and physical will be a perfect excuse. It, it's just one of, those, one of those games that seems to keep going. I'm trying to think of, I don't want to say draw a conclusion because it's been a while, but it reminded me maybe a little bit of, oh shoot, the one that uh, Blue Revolver. Mind, oh. a, a little bit of the gameplay with that, with the the different ships and the different methods that you could take with with that. I, I don't want to draw too many comparisons because it has been a while since I played it. But from what I have played, I really, really do like it. It's very thought out, and the different ship types actually make a difference. Yeah, it's cool how many different ships there are and how different they actually are in the game. I've played a bit. Um, it's pretty tough though, like, I haven't managed to get, I'm not even sure if I've made it halfway through the game yet. Wow. I, you know, I, I have st since I've joined this podcast and started playing all these STGs, I, I always, uh, is it harder than Gradius 3? Well, if it's not, then I can do it. <laughs> That's Gradius 3 Arcade, not that Super Nintendo or Super Fami. Yeah, not many games are harder than Gradius 3, <laughs> in my opinion. Exactly. Uh, well, we got another witch-themed shoot 'em up that just released. Uh, Hazelnut Hex came out on October 1st on Nintendo Switch. And 
This is an interesting one. It's very, very pastel. Lots of pink and purple. Uh, but it kind of works for the art style. And I guess early impressions of the game are good. You know, it's also very pastel. Yeah, I've heard of it. Uh, cotton. Or not cotton, I'm sorry. Magical Chase. Oh, right. I've heard a lot of good things about this uh, This one, Hazelnut Hicks. Yeah. A lot of people were liking it. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to try it myself, but it definitely looks charming and like it would be fun. Yeah. Pre-orders are up now for Galactic Wars EX on PS4. Available from VGNYSoft. Was this a... Um, what was that? Um, shoot. Uh, Pixel Heart. Was that a Pixel Heart title that was transferred? Or is this something direct from an, another publisher? No, this is another publisher. And this one wasn't even on my radar until uh, I saw the announcement for it. And I want to say uh, Bear78 sh- uh, shared it in the Discord. But it looks it looks interesting. It's a horizontal, full 16 by 9, and has, you know, kind of a cool look to it. So, looks promising. Fair enough. Speaking of promising here, Strictly Limited Games will be releasing Snow Battle Princess Sayuki on Switch and PS4. Now, this game did come out on the West and on Wii and PS2 as Heavily Guardian but with some changes, so this should more accurately reflect the original game. Now, if I remember correctly, this is was done by some members uh, who I previously worked on, uh, Pocky and Rocky. Here. Yeah, so this game sort of serves as a spiritual successor to the original two Pocky and Rocky and Kiki Kai Kai games, or three, I guess. The weird, yeah, the Game Boy Advance and the two Super Famicom or, or Super Nintendo ones. Well, then you have the four, right? You have the arcade game, which is sort of in that same vein. But uh, the one thing I'm interested about this is I I don't know if they're bringing this back because Pocky and Rocky just got a sequel on the Switch and PS4. Or, you know, if if they're thinking this might be its own thing. It's a little weird to bring this one back. I mean, I I think... A little bit. But yeah, it just feels the timing is is a little bit different. And even the Pocky and Rocky sequel, it's a good sequel. I wonder if it did well enough to for them to keep going with that. I mean, the hype was there, and then it, and you got people, like even uh, John from Digital Foundry was hyping it up, saying it was a good game, and it is. But I, after that, it just sort of leveled off. Right. So I, I wonder like, how well this actually did in... If, if they're just using this to bring this out there because it was previously released and they want to get in front of people, or maybe it's a little bit within, you know, hey, there's a little bit more name recognition with Pocky and Rocky now, or maybe it's uh, just a big coincidence. I'm missing the point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it might just be one of those things, like you say, since Pocky and Rocky Reshrined came out, this may be a, a situation of strike while the iron is hot. And to be fair, nothing nothing against that. It just it seemed like, in comparison to what they did before Cannon Dancer, I mean, Cannon Dancer is something that definitely needs attention and, and is out there. It's a game that draws people in, at least people who know what, 
what the game is. Well, well, this game has already come out twice, and I realize it didn't get a lot of attention, but I'm not sure how much more legs it's going to get from being in Strictly Limited. Sure. And uh, to be fair, I, I did like the sequel. I, th- I thought it was pretty good. I like the PS2 version a lot better than the Wii. But uh, for what, do you remember this is the game also that was selling for, you know, uh, what was it, 10 bucks brand new or something like that on Amazon for a couple years? Oh, probably. To be fair to that point, even the Akai Katana was selling for like 12 bucks brand new on Amazon for a while, too. So it just because right. you can't judge a game by its price on Amazon. Sure. Well, by the same token, uh, Starfighter Sandvane for the original PlayStation is a fun little arena shmup. And it was a bargain bin title because it was part of the, uh, what is it, the Simple 1500 series or whatever in Japan. And then came out here through Age Tech. All their stuff was budget titles, and it's still dirt cheap, but it's a cool game. Fair enough. Uh, there are a couple of classic European developed shoot 'em ups that are getting revivals. Uh, Beyond the Storm is being billed as a pseudo sequel to Tyrion, and it is out now on Steam. And then there's a Kickstarter campaign launching soon for Raptor Remixed, which will be. Uh, an update to Raptor Call of the Shadows. Wasn't there uh, already an update to Raptor Call of the Shadows, or am I getting things confused here? I thought it already had something. There was something, yeah, there was something that was either in the works or that had been done, but I think it's the original developer, maybe, who's involved with this one. Okay. I'm not 100% sure. Well, let's just hope that it leans more towards a Raiden 4 type outcome, less like a Raiden 5 type outcome. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of Tyrion, and that's a game I I really want to do for the Shmup Club at some point. This Beyond the Storm looks like it could be pretty bonkers, so I'm going to have to check it out. Raptor is one of those games I played a bunch as a kid and enjoyed, but it it doesn't hold up as well. So I'll be interested to see what they do with it to either improve the formula or if it's just going to be kind of a spit shine and make the graphics look nicer, but effectively keep the same gameplay. Yeah, Raptor, as I mentioned, is just one of those ones that it maybe really doesn't need to be brought back on there. That It was a fun game for the time, but you wonder how much is nostalgia and how much is the actual enjoyment that you get out of the gameplay loop. Right. Yeah, I can think of, I can think of other PC or computer-based shoot-em-ups from that era that probably should make a comeback instead. But, as we said with uh, Signy, you know, hold the judgment until it's actually out and you can play it. Fair enough, yeah. I mean, if you had asked me before Doom 2016 came out, I probably was, eh, it just doesn't look that interesting. But after playing it, no oh, big difference. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, in addition to the M2 Darius Cosmic releases already out there, the original arcade entry Darius will be getting an arcade archives release to include all three versions of the arcade game. Yeah, I thought this was interesting. And I'm not sure if this is one of those things where Hamster is just licensing this from M2 or if Hamster is doing their own version of it. So mm. I'd be curious to hear more details about that once you know we get closer to the release. It seems more likely they would just be doing their own version of it, doesn't it? It does, since they have their own engine that they kind of use for all their releases. But it does seem a little bit, I don't know. Unnecessary? Unnecessary, yeah, redundant. Um, but if someone was a big fan of the original Darius and didn't want to spend the money on the collection, then sure, mm -hmm. I could see that. Yeah. Indie shooter Dead End City is out now on Steam from developer Pixel Liquor. Yeah, and uh, this is uh, Moby Chan, who we heard from earlier in our question of the month. And so uh, I actually got to play an early release version of this a while back, long while back. And based on the footage I'm seeing on the Steam page, it looks like the game has been improved even more. And that early version was fun. Uh, so this is one of those where if you're into Galaga 88 style games where you've got waves that come in and things like that, but you enjoy the, the power-up aspect of something a little bit more modern, then yeah, this is, this is one to check out. This is really cool, actually. I've uh, it came out a couple of days ago and I've been playing it the last couple of days and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I love the pixel art too. Yeah, it's a, looks really cool. It's a cool look. That sort of um, Mad Max post-apocalyptic sort of vibe. You know, yeah. aesthetically it reminds me of the Speed Rumbler. Oh, sure. I mean, it definitely has got a very nice look to it. It, it looks like it could be at home from... Uh, mid 80s let's say 87 to 88 maybe even 89 arcade game mm -hmm. definitely looks worth checking out yeah based on even the early build that I played I would say go grab it yeah for sure XX Game Room uh, Japanese Dojin Dev has released a demo for Eden's Eclipse, a new game in development, which is likely a sequel to the dev's earlier game, Eden's Edge. They also recently released Blue Wish Desire, recently released Blue Wish Desire on Steam, though most of the earlier games are still available for free. Yeah, and this is this is one to to check out. I've heard nothing but good things about uh, Blue Wish Desire. Um, mm -hmm. And I've long been a fan of Blue Wish Resurrection. It's one of those Japanese doujin shooters that I downloaded probably a decade and a half ago or more uh, when uh, I built out a computer and was able to finally start playing some decent PC games. And uh, good stuff. I think 
everything from XX Game Room that I've played has been high quality. Yeah, I didn't realize it was that old. Resurrection, I mean. But fun games, yeah. They're really cool. Yeah. I want to say when I first downloaded some stuff from them, it was, it was Green Wind, Eden's Edge, well, and then Eden's Aegis, which I um, should have mentioned. So this is actually probably a, a sequel to Eden's Aegis, because I want to say it was Eden's... Well, now I'm confusing myself. Yeah, Eden's Edge, then Eden's Aegis. So actually, technically, this is probably a sequel to Eden's Aegis, but mm-hmm. whatever. <laughs> Point being, um, yeah, it was it was Green Wind, Eden's Edge, and Bluish Resurrection. I want to say sometime in the late 2000s, and then Bluish Bluish Resurrection Plus at some point later when that was updated. Uh, but those are all good games, well worth checking out. I just saw this earlier today. A developer and publish Sigyad Team has released a Toho-themed first-person shooter called I Am Sakuya, starring Sakuya. This looks nuts. Um, I'm not sure this is something that I would play, but if you're a Toho fan and also like Doom, this might be something to check out. Is this first-person bullet hell? No, it really just looks like a Doom clone, but with Toho characters. It's bizarre. Okay. Well, I look forward to uh, Dance Dance Toho next year. <laughs> I think they're running out of genres to put this into now. Yeah, I, what we need now is a is a Toho platformer, a, a sort of great Gianna Sisters kind of of uh, thing going on. I'm sure there is already. Probably. <laughs> System Erasure celebrated the fourth anniversary of their STG Zero Ranger with a small patch release with a few bug fixes. No word on the forthcoming Black Onion mode, but. Dang, this game is still good. Yeah, I'd be curious to eventually see what they come up with when Black Onion finally comes out, because White Vanilla was so good. Yeah, it's crazy they're still working on the game after all this time. I I have to say, the more and more indie SDGs I play on the PC, the more and more appealing a Steam Deck is over anything like a a PS5 or Xbox Series X. Just the ability to play this on the go or to do Tate mode. It'll be a little weird playing Tate. You feel it maybe like you're playing the Lynx or something, but <laughs> it's still, I mean, the, the amount of STGs and the quality of indie STGs and all the ports that are happening, to have all those in a portable handheld, even if the battery life is that of a nomad, is still pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, there is a new demo out on Steam for a forthcoming shooter called Flight Path. It's a 16 by 9 horizontal game and is apparently story driven. Release is slated for January 2023. Yeah, I saw this earlier and watched the you know the demo reel or the sizzle reel that was on Steam and it looks like it could be promising. 
there's an interesting mechanic I noticed where at some point in the stage it had branching paths and you could go to the left to fight the boss or go to the right to save this character. Um, so not quite Darius in that sense, but certainly gives you a degree of replayability. Yeah, I remember uh, seeing that Steam page too. Uh, but I cannot add anything more to that. <laughs> I don't really remember. Uh, and finally, uh, Shmup Creator from Bulo Studio is six months old, and they released a community games showcase video to sort of show off some of the games that users have developed with this product. And it looks like there's quite a few really cool-looking games that have come out. There's one that I was following the development of for quite some time, uh, and I didn't... I either I'd forgotten or I didn't realize they were using Shmup Creator to do it, but uh, there were several others that were featured in the video that looked pretty good. So I'll be, I'll be curious to see how many of these come out and actually get wider releases. Yeah, it's cool seeing people dive in and uh, make <laughs> their own games, I guess. Yeah. It's one of those things that I would love to do at some point, but I already have way too many games I want to play and um, yep. not really enough knowledge about the nuts and bolts uh, and inner workings of how to make a good game uh, and certainly not the, the ability to do the art either. So for now, it remains a dream. Well, to be fair, I'm thankful that you're not making a game either because we'd have to cover it on this podcast. <laughs> It'd just be one more shmup. All right. So that's it. Yeah, with the news, news that you can use out of the way, let's move on to the participants of the month. They were Metalfro, Addicted, Koala6, 410, Orc Commander and Brandon Guerra 97. Thank you all for joining in. The game that we played for the month of September 2022 was Operation Remington Steel. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Operation Steel. <laughs> and, you know, uh, well, I could say some things about the game, but I'll save them for later. So I, I thought that we would start out with maybe. Uh, it's creator talking a little bit about the game. Yeah, I, I was hoping to get some insight into your inspiration, uh, you know, what it was that sparked you to want to make a shooting game, maybe the game or games that you felt were most responsible for inspiring you to do this, you know, kind of starting, I guess, start with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I have always wanted to make a game, like many people, I think. And I, at some point in 2018, I had discovered this uh, game engine called Godo, and I thought, hey, this is pretty cool. 
and I like the way this works, so I think I could probably use this to make a game. Now I just needed an idea for a game, and around the same time I had been playing Steradin, which was the first roguelike shoot 'em up game that I had come across. I was always, I mean, I've, my whole life I've been a fan of shoot 'em ups, not a nowhere near as major, majorly deep dived in after I started making my own, but uh, I've always played them. I've played uh, many games in my youth. Uh, I think Life Force on the NES was a particularly standout memory. And I loved going to the arcade and playing shoot 'em ups in my teenage years in the 90s. And I had also been playing a lot of roguelike games around the t uh, more recently, I should say. So uh, Binding of Isaac is a particular favourite of mine. So that was a major reason why I thought a roguelike shoot 'em up could be really cool. And so I picked up Steradin. And I was playing it and I enjoyed Steradin, but I felt like something was missing. And I thought maybe I could do this and not necessarily do it better but just add the things that I would prefer would be in the game. For instance, a, I felt like the weapons were not, a lot of the weapons were not viable or not, they didn't feel as good as the default weapon. And also a lot of the enemies were very similar to each other, they were very samey kind of enemies so I just wanted a little bit more wackiness, I guess. And I thought, yeah, I could do that. And I started programming Operation Steel. This was, I started in, I think it was on Halloween of 2018. So just under four years ago now. Wow. Yeah, uh, the game took a little bit over three years to complete. And I released it at the start of this year. Awesome. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. It's definitely more than I could do. You know, I, I would probably get something to fly across the screen and then, you know, I'm done. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, I think that the biggest challenge, of course, is getting it shipped. You know, everyone works on something for a while, but to actually see it through completion and then put out a finished product is really hard to do. So, kudos to you for working your way through it and creating something that is enjoyable for other people to try. I see a lot of different influences within there, especially within the different bosses, different types of characters that they're on mm -hmm. there, and the pathing system from Darius and some of the, the fun, fun quirky weapons like the Corgi. There's really a lot to like about one of the interesting design situations I know or design decisions, I should say, is with making it a horizontal game. Most people would say that having a vertical scrolling shooter is the easiest to read. And I mean, there, mm -hmm. but I noticed that while playing it, that horizontal seems to work really much better for a 16 by 9 aspect ratio than what you'd see there. We, we've been playing Death Smiles as we're recording this here in October. And 4x3 works okay, but you can really see how that game benefits, especially in the remaster from having a 16x9. 
it's a lot easier to visually read the screen at, at least for your you know for people who, who or i should say just in general you know four by three is good for tate or at least heavy there but the thing i've been noticing and we just talked about this one in the the news is people are trying to do these vertizontal games they're trying to squish or expand out the play field into a full thing which to me is akin to stretching out a native nes game or or a 4x3 game stretching out some people may like it but it, it just really messes with the way the game flows it's it's a lot easier to have that narrow space by having everything be in a horror by having things that whole using up that whole space for horizontal scrolling it seems to work out a lot better i noticed when i was flying around and trying to shoot enemies oftentimes i would be able to get in front of them only to find out that their shots were tracking me or following me this was i think the benefit of your decision to go with a horizontal style in opening up more of a play area making some new changes or loops for the gameplay that that to me at least was what solidified it as something different and interesting because a lot of people try and change the mechanics of a game such as we have with a wrist system where you try and get closer and the closer you get to grazing the bullets the more power it gives you it's a nice feature but it doesn't really feel like an evolution of the genre with with this it feels like you're moving the it forward by having me horizontally expanding out the play area. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, um, I I mean I do love uh, vertically scrolling games too, um, but I think you're right saying uh, I'm not sure anyone's really cracked a 16 by 9 horizontal game yet. Just that massive wide play field is very difficult to make work. I guess I chose a horizontally scrolling game just for the um, accessibility factor of, you know, uh, people do love Tate games, but it is a bit of a, it's not something everyone has access to, um, rotating their monitor. N- not to say that you have to, but uh, I just felt it opened up a bit more potential players might might want to play it if it's filling their whole screen rather than just a third of it yeah playing game i mean we talked earlier about mushi and futari and those are great Mm -hmm. games but those again are are made to be played in tate or uh, upright mode so it's 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 sort of like trying to take a movie when, when we used to have the old CRT TV, I don't want to say old, so I'm just going to get up and, and yell at me for that one, but uh, we all have these older technologies here. Don't worry, I still have three CRTs in my basement, but anyway. We have this type of technology when they would squish the widescreen format down to 4x3. That's what it feels like with Vertizontal. It feels like you're losing the artistic intent. And that's what I... I appreciate it. You know, vertical games are great, and I still or Tati, you know, I love playing them, and I love doing stuff. But when when you don't have that ability to get the full artistic intent, that turn your monitor sideways or your CRT, you know, it may take six people to do it, but you could do it. You know, it's 
you just don't get the same effect. That's why this game, to me, and the way that you capture the play field or the area of play or whatever you want to call it with the horizontal and the 16 by 90 sure feels so refreshing because it, it, you've got the you've got the full artistic intent and it it actually using the gameplay loop I think it's the either the first maybe the first or the second time I've seen this done so congratulations again Thank you. That's just me being greedy and wanting to use the whole screen. <laughs> well, that kind of segues nicely into something I was wondering about because I know there's a bit of a um, a bit of a divide between vertical games and horizontal games, and of course there's always some crossover. But generally speaking, horizontal games tend to work differently and a lot of times they have scenery things that you can run into uh, whereas generally vertical games don't there are exceptions of course like with image fight where you can definitely run into the scenery Uh, and then of course operation steel where there's no scenery to run into but the thing that um, i find interesting about this game is the weapon system and how I'm not sure the weapon system would translate as well to a vertical scrolling game. And I'm wondering if some of the choices that you made for the weapon types that you included were specifically because it was horizontal scrolling or if it was just stuff that came naturally to you. Uh, I'd say the latter. I, I didn't put that much thought into it, <laughs> I don't think. Um, it was just throwing throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what stuck, pretty much. That was uh, a lot of the development process, really. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, obviously this is my first game, so there was a lot of learning along the way. Uh, I really threw myself into the backlog of shoot 'em ups that I and played as many as I could and took inspiration from many as you can probably see. So it was there was a lot of just picking and choosing what I liked from other games, I think. And occasionally I might have come up with something unique. You know, I I think that's a great formula to follow is that's how Crimson Clover was formed, right? That Crimson Clover came out from picking and choosing what the developer thought was good from other SDGs. There's, and, and if you can't, if you say, well, that's just sort of cheating, I think this whole industry is built upon people taking from other people's ideas and changing them or iterating upon them. It, it's definitely a great way to go. Is You get a little bit of that, like, oh, you, I remember this from Darius, or this is uh, those two twin uh, fish bosses uh, or you know hey this is neat I well, who would where else would you come up with an idea for a fully loaded corgi it's the innovation that is derived from this I just love and that it's the type of DNA that I saw in Crimson Clover and it's the type of DNA that I see in Operation Steel 
I, I still don't understand why the Space Needle's flying through space, but I like it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So, you mentioned that you started playing through your backlog of shmups to get inspired. What games did inspire you? Oh, uh, gosh, what didn't? I did play a lot of bullet hell games, a lot of cave games. Well, maybe not a lot, but some of the more accessible ones, at least. Say Mushi, and uh, although I don't think there's a lot of Mushi in my game, to be honest. Um, Dodonpachi, I definitely played a lot of that and lifted some stuff from that, even though that's... It's kind of hard to see a lot of the inspirations in the game, perhaps, unless they're overt references, such as the uh, Capricorn boss is, is to marry the giant cow in Death, from Death Smiles. Life Force, you can see in the uh, fiery planets. For sure. Yeah. Um, there's a, there are a lot of games that have I've just kind of pulled one or two things from maybe and something as simple as one particular enemy's shot pattern. Funnily enough, I never I had never played a Darius game until very recently, pretty much not before making this game. Despite there being a lot of fish and uh, branching pathways and and stuff like that, so there was a bit of stuff that. I guess I was aware of those games though, so I felt like that would be fine to use that sort of method of uh, level structures, I guess. It certainly gives a nice path to it. It's, if you're going to ape a level structure, there's nothing wrong with taking it from a Darius series, or even from you know Guru's favorite game there, uh, Lightning Strikes Again or uh, Lightning Force. Yep, there. Uh, it's definitely worth trying out. And you know, the uh, one of the things that I guess really struck out to me is how much did Mark MSX pay to get a plug in the game? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. No, jeez. <laughs> At least charged him for something on there. You know, he, he's raking in that big yeah, I'm podcast have to, money. I should have. I should have snuck in a shoot the core cast plug. Ah. Um, yeah, why didn't I think of that? There's yeah, there's a few there's a few shout outs to um, people in the community, uh, maybe not as obvious as that one. <laughs> yeah, there's a like a call out to Mechanical Star Astra as well, since Bog Hog helped me a lot with uh, testing and design questions. Um, M Knight's game too has a very uh, a, a shout out. Oh, that's um, he's st- that's still in development. Yes, uh, remote weapon gun fencer. Gun fencer, cool. that's right. That looks like it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, it's a bit like a milestone game, uh, horizontally scrolling, um, caravan style kind of game. Yeah, yeah. The the milestone influence is pretty obvious, but M Night. Yep. <laughs> kind of wears that on the sleeve. It would be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, playing Operation Steel, one thing I noticed, and I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I didn't notice any rank in the game. The rank is sort of de- 
would interfere maybe a little bit with the randomness. Uh, there is rank. Um, yeah, there's there is a you can even turn on a meter. Uh, something I added just a month or two ago. Uh, a, there's a rank meter. It's called uh, dis display difficulty option, I think, and um, it goes up and down. So it'll it'll go up as long as you are scoring points, basically, and it'll go down if you take a hit or use a bomb. That makes sense. Sorry, no, I didn't see that option. I must have. I'll have to go back and take a look. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, that was very helpful for me once I turned that on. That and the visible hitbox helped tremendously. Yeah, I like those little quality of life features. So I added them. And, and the. Uh, one of the nice things I like about, again, we were talking about Project Starship X and the whole theme of variety is that even though there was randomization elements in the game, uh, like with stage one, you could get one, I think like one out of three bosses and three, three different mini bosses. Mm -hmm. There was enough standardization of the popcorn enemies. Sure, if you're doing well, some of them might have a little bit of extra abilities. But there was enough that was standard about each playthrough that you wouldn't feel like everything was completely random. And I, I thought that was a nice balance. And, you know, there is, the enemies, you know, some of the times you're feeling, oh, shoot, I'm going to get the crab boss, aren't I? I'm going to get the crab boss here. But the path leading up to the mid-boss or the stage boss was relatively standard through each, throughout each playthrough. And that could at least get some predictability with the patterns. I thought it was a nice balance between the two. Guru, do you have something to add to this? Well, yeah. That crab boss is such a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Those giant enemy but, crab. Oh, Leo was your, your nemesis. Oh, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, my nemesis. I don't know why, I just have a hard time with it. But, yeah, I, I, I think I like the fact that there are different... You can encounter different mid-bosses and different end-level bosses at different times. It definitely helps keep the variety there, and it does kind of keep you on your toes. And, and I noticed, too, when I was playing, that there are some times that a boss will even have some variation within their attack patterns. Um, one pretty obvious example for me was the the big sort of flaming bird thing in the uh, in the first stage. Sometimes it would shoot a lot of the telegraphed blue lasers. Sometimes it would be just a short amount. And then sometimes when you get a lot of lasers, they'd be in very rapid succession. Um, and Or when it would go into its green phase, then um, sometimes the spread that it would throw out would be relatively small. Sometimes it would be very dense and you would actually have to weave through it. Or in the red phase, when it would charge you... Um, Sometimes the bullets that would shoot out from the top and the bottom of the bird 
would be very close together and you'd have to you know, really position yourself very specifically. Other times they would be far more spread out. And I know some of that's probably attributable to rank, but I assume there's an element of RNG in that as well. Would that be a fair statement? Uh, somewhat, yes. Um, that is mostly uh, rank-based, and also the mid-bosses can be fought on, that mid-boss in particular can be fought on level 1 or level 2. So if you're fighting him on level 2, it's it, uh, the patterns are going to be more dense. Okay. Um, The randomness aspect there would be if, for instance, you mentioned that he can fire a lot of lasers at you, the blue lasers. I think that would be just be caused by that pattern randomly coming up twice in a row. And it's so twice back to back makes it just seem like he's firing a lot more at you. Oh, okay. Um, because that, yeah, all all boss patterns are chosen randomly, but they are. It'll go through all of them before resetting and choosing another random set, I guess. So, for instance, you could have red, green, blue, and then for the next random one could be blue again. Because then all three of them, it's gone through all of them, and then all three of them are available to be chosen again. Okay, well... Yeah, except, yeah, there are some exceptions uh, this, for patterns that can't cannot be repeated back-to-back, back, I guess. Huh. I will say, for that one in particular, I certainly did not notice that it was just two sets of the blue at once. It looked like it was just one longer version of that pattern. Um, right. Yep. So it, there's definitely no no uh, obvious sign downtime. <laughs> no, there's no gap between the two the patterns, I guess. Yeah. Speaking of the mid bosses, that was one of the things I definitely liked about was the you know, to use an example of the owl, where the owl's eyes would change color and that give you a signal to expect a different pattern. That was definitely a nice touch. I'm trying to think of it, if any of the other mid-bosses do that. I think I know that the owl is just one that stands out. Yeah, yeah, the owl and the firebird, the phoenix, are the two that are jumping to my mind anyway. I like the uh, added sound effects for those. The sort of voice samples, if you will. Yep. The screech. Yeah. Yeah, can't remember where that came from, that one. I know um, there's the big floating head, and he has uh, some sound effects when he's burping out bullets at you. And that was that was me making that sound effect. <laughs> oh, you're talking it's not about... not a very loud one. You're talking about... It's kind of like... <laughs> Zardoz, or what have you. Yep. <laughs> the big Zardoz head. Mr. Zed. Yeah, what was what was the inspiration behind basing uh, the bosses kind of around the uh, astrological signs? Uh, that was partially 
uh, influenced by the Bonnie of Isaac because they, I, I liked how that game had themes around their bosses and a lot of the other things in the game, such as items you find. For whatever reason, I early on I had thought, oh, it would be cool to have a giant crab boss. Oh, it would be cool to have. Uh, I can't remember what the other one was now. Anyway, I felt I, I wanted to make a couple of bosses and thought, hey, these could fit that uh, astrological sign theme. And so I thought I'd just run with it, I guess. And it made designing bosses a lot easier because I didn't have to think too hard about what will I make next because I had 12 already lined up for me. Right. Yeah, it's interesting how you're able to augment that with other things because obviously with with Pisces and the two fish it seems mm-hmm. like an obvious inspiration from the Darius series particularly when you've got King Fossil and Queen Fossil together in a couple of the games or something like the snake mid-boss seems like an obvious inspiration from Mushi stage four yes. the centipedes yes particularly their power you're right there was a Mushi reference in there I forgot about that one yeah that one's that one was on, on the nose but I appreciated <laughs> that yeah um, the the Darius comparisons are pure co- coincidence um, as I said I hadn't really played them so didn't know enough about them to do that, but yeah, it just it was something that was relatively easy for me to do, and so I did it. It's all about cutting as many corners as you can making a game, I think, <laughs> by yourself at least. Right. Yeah, and I'm wondering, I know that uh, you had someone else do the music, but mm-hmm. was everything else your work? Uh, yes, I did all the art, I did all the programming, and I did all the marketing, <laughs> which was the least fun part. Wow. <laughs> I I did have some great people helping with playtesting. As I mentioned, Boghog and M. Knight were particularly useful uh, for giving great feedback, and I, you know, bouncing ideas off the community of things I could add to the game. Uh, so there was a, few, there was a few things there. For instance, I asked what what can I add to my ice cave level, and I think it might have been Boghog suggested fairies. So fairies went in the game, oh. and I thought, hey, that's a good a good reference to uh, Toho as well. Yeah, that seems pretty obvious as well. Uh, bit of a Toho nod. Yeah, and that gave me inspiration about what sort of. Uh, fire patterns those enemies could have for instance so it all sort of designs itself (laughs) earlier you mentioned biting of isaac how much of the uh gameplay was inspired by that or what what drew you into that game yeah it's it's not very similar to my game but there were a, a lot i guess a lot of the early design ideas i had was there was a lot of basis in that game just in having a usable item that you can pick up and is available on a cooldown, for instance. 
and me as like many different weapons and items although that game has literally hundreds or perhaps thousands now so it's not quite in that sort of league but is it, I mean is that where the idea of a fully loaded corgi came from or that's actually a reference to another game that isn't out yet called Proto Corgi oh yes yeah, Proto Corgi yeah a fellow Goto engine shoot 'em up which is in the works and yeah I thought that's cool I'd like to re I'd like to give them a shout out or nick their idea <laughs> it's certainly the best weapon in the game in my opinion yeah it's a pretty popular one nobody can turn down the corgi as I said multiple times on my streams with the corgi good boy no <laughs> best boy <laughs> yep yeah the corgi is a, a great item um, because one of the things I like about the Corgi is with almost every other offensive item, you have to be firing for it to be activated. But with the Corgi, it will just kind of home and seek out enemies and continue firing even if you're not, which makes it particularly useful when the weapon that you have equipped is one that has a charge ability, mm -hmm. which kind of leads me into my next question. When you were when you were designing the the weapon system for the game, did you consciously have a vision of some weapons being charge weapons and others not, or was that something that sort of developed as you were uh, fleshing out the game? Yeah, um, I'm not sure. I wanted some to be charge weapons and some not. Originally. I think the first two weapons I made were the the base weapons for each ship, so the blaster and the charge weapon, the charger. So I did have a charge weapon in very early, and then I guess I just thought some weapons were not exciting enough, and I wanted to add charge attacks to them as well. For instance, the shotgun never had a charge attack until much later and then I thought what other weapons could I add a charge attack to and ideally I probably could have added it to more weapons but it was just nothing no unique ideas I guess were jumping out at me for anything else so it never happened for there's probably how many charge weapons are there maybe four or five I think that's right yeah you've got the charger you've got the blade you've got the shotgun shotgun poison oh it was just if I had an idea I would add it and if I didn't I wouldn't <laughs> right. it's as simple as it was that makes sense yeah I didn't find the poison all that useful myself so I actually never really used it much beyond the the first couple times I got it yeah um I, I know um, Rosati, for instance, had been playing it recently and using the poison as a, what would you call it, just as a, an additional weapon, just he would switch to it, lay some poison on a boss and then switch back to whichever weapon he was using at the time. Oh. Which was, I thought was an interesting strategy. Yeah, it's, it's sort of good as a, not so good for the stages, 
but it is good against boss weapon. Sure, as like a secondary weapon where you can, where you can have it do residual damage. Then yeah, just to conditional use, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, as I was playing through, I mostly just stuck to one one, uh, one weapon throughout each each stage. Mm-hmm. But I could see a lot of promise in switching up between weapons um, as you go along. Although, I did notice that in order to switch between weapons, you actually have to let up on the fire button and then hit the other button to switch. So there's that little element there of that risk-reward. Hmm, I didn't, don't think that was intentional. To be honest, oh, I didn't realize that one. Well, I guess that also brings up something else I was curious about: um, the mechanic of letting go of the fire button to suck in the the coins and the gems and stuff. Was was there a particular inspiration for that? Uh, Raiden Four. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I think was it Raiden Four or was it Raiden? Maybe it was run five. You can you can vacuum up uh, metals or something, right? Yeah, in five uh, you can. In five is that? You can pull in all the metals. Yeah, maybe that's what I was thinking of. Also, oh, you can vacuum up the power ups in run four as well, can't you? Yep. Um, so between those games, I think I made the connection there. I thought, you know, that would be handy and give you a reason to not hold down the fire button right all the time which then also introduces you to the charge mechanic if you know if you're the kind of player who just sort of holds the fire button down maybe someone a bit more casual or just playing the game the first time you tend to just hold the fire button down so you can keep lasting Mm -hmm. but if you let go then you hear the charging sound, you see the animation of the money coming at you, and then when you fire the next time, you realize, oh, if I let go of the fire button, my weapon charges and I get a bigger blast. And so immediately, using a ship like the Pinion, or once you collect one of the various weapons that has a charge cycle, that becomes very obvious uh, as uh, a game mechanic and it to me it felt intuitive yep yeah I guess it kind of came by happenstance but I realized that that worked really well together like that so I rolled with it so you mentioned earlier that some of the sound effects were provided by you personally There is there uh, some interesting backstories you can tell us on some of those or I know a lot of the sounds for, let's say, Mortal Kombat is like someone crunching lettuce or uh, in the background or smashing watermelons. And there is there some interesting sound effects that you had to create yourself? Uh, not really, uh, apart from me just making that. I think that might be the only sound effect that I actually did via microphone myself. I have I had to figure out how to create other sound effects on my computer. There's a program called uh, BFXR, I think, that I used for a, 
a lot of the early sound effects like the shot, weapon shot sound and pick-upping a coin sound. They've got a very distinctive BFXR sound to them. If you know, if you're familiar with it, sort of a sound sound effect generating uh, program. Huh. And finding free to use sound effects online and then uh, fiddling with them in Audacity to try and get them to be what I want was a lot of the was a lot of time spent doing that. Um, admittedly, that it's really not my forte forte doing sound effects. I, I feel like it's the the weakest part of the game, but uh, I did what I could. No worries. I was just a little curious. Thank you. Um, That's right. What, what what out of now that you've got Operation Steel out there, what is your most what is your most crowning achievement? What are you proud of uh, for developing the game? Like, say this this is cool. I'm glad I put this in here. I was surprised how much I enjoyed doing uh like animating stuff i guess um it's not always that obvious but there's some things like uh the big dragon boss for instance i must have spent nearly a week animating its wings flapping and the tlb boss as well has some has some cool animations going on there so that was something that i thought came out really like a lot better than i had hoped just the game as a whole I'm very proud of I wasn't sure I could stick with it and complete it I guess but it, I was very fortunate that I had the motivation or the tenacity to keep going and not and it wasn't too arduous like I, I had a lot of fun making the game it wasn't all hard work or it wasn't not fun while I was working on it, I guess. Yeah. At least until the last few months, then it was like, okay, <laughs> just got to get this done. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I could fully understand with the project, done, with the uh, desire to get it done, the, the crunch time, as it were. Yep. But one of the things I think you highlight very well is you have to have a passion for it, right? You, you have to want to mm-hmm. do it, especially with game development, where... You're, you're trying to either find that bug or why is this going this way or it really takes a lot in order to create something and push that out there yeah a lot of work like you don't know how much work making a game is until you try really to be honest um, but it, it's not all bad either like a, there's a lot of cool creative stuff in that process and a lot of boring marketing stuff you have to do. <laughs> so when you started designing this, did you always want it to be a PC game? Any thoughts for maybe console releases? or Console releases were just a pipe dream, really. Um, I, PC release was what was doable for me. And as you may know, um, I'm hopefully going to get the game out on Switch at some point. But the port isn't being handled by Mets, and and another company is helping me with that. So I'm just waiting for them to be available, basically. I was hoping it was going to be this year, but it may uh, sneak into next year now, from what I gather. Still, that's pretty impressive, and I would definitely buy it on the, the Switch that came out. I'd love to have portable ways to play SDGs. 
Yeah, I feel like it would work pretty well on, on the Switch too. Uh, I've heard somebody show me them playing the game on, on Steam Deck too, which was cool to see. And it looks like perfect for that sort of form factor. Yeah, absolutely. With the 16 by 9 and vertical or, uh, <clears throat> or horizontal resol- uh, orientation, that... Yep. Yep. That really works. Yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be very cool. <laughs> Since you mentioned the marketing piece, what's the story behind the name Undermog Games? Uh, the story is, it's hard to think of a name for your company. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I was just coming up with all sorts of random ideas and I've always liked the underdog and I thought what's the even more underdog of the underdog it's not a dog it's a cat so under Mog is what I'll go with (laughs) Mog being another name for a cat or a a, uh, nickname for a cat I guess here at least okay I wasn't familiar with that I thought, just a tiny little part of me thought maybe that was a Spaceballs reference. No, I wish. <laughs> One of the things you mentioned was it was, it definitely took you some time, and I know, I know to develop the game, and I know that developing games is not as easy as people on Reddit would have you believe, but... No. I was a little curious. What were some of the challenges that, or unexpected challenges that you faced while developing the game? I don't think there's any one specific thing I can think of, but just learning how to do the hundred different jobs that you need to make a game was was the main challenge. I think I, I'm a programmer by day, so I kind of took to the programming side quite easily and I have been drawing as a hobby for a lot of my life so that's why I thought I can do the art I can do the programming but even that was learning for instance um, animating the stuff as I as I mentioned wasn't something I'd never done before animating the ships and enemies just yeah, uh, learning how to... N- I needed to optimize the game, for instance, um, so that I could have more than 50 bullets on screen without causing slowdown. I need to, to learn how to make sound effects, how to make a trailer for the game. So video editing, sound editing, what I needed to do to get the game on Steam. Just... There's, there's seriously so many little things that you you never think about that you have to learn as you come across them. Yeah, there's a. I mean, I could only imagine some of the stuff for getting on Steam. People, it's like, hey, you just put your Steam, it goes in the queue, and that's it. Well, I'm sure there's a lot more to it than just that. So, so again, kudos for yeah. getting through a project from beginning to end. That's the. The hardest thing is to actually have that finished project. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with how it all came together and the 
uh, reception it's got as well has been amazing. I I wasn't sure if um, you know if I'd have anyone playing the game, let alone people saying how much they have enjoyed it, has been really just really awesome, really great feedback, and that's the exact reason I wanted to make the game. So now that you have Operation Steel out, are you going to work on Operation Steel 2 or are we looking at Operation DLC? <laughs> uh, I I have a couple of games that I would like to make and one of them... I, I feel like my next game probably won't be like Operation Steel apart from in the sense that it, I would like to make more shoot 'em ups uh, but I do have an idea for another roguelike shoot 'em up, and I feel like I've learned enough about how the genres combine together that I could do a better job, <laughs> or at least something a little bit different. That's I think is is the largest opportunity for growth within SDGs, at least in my opinion, is to throw randomized elements in there and change up the formula there or to mash it with some different gen generations. You know, I don't want uh, Dance Dance uh, SDG. I don't think I can handle auto fire with that one, but you, you give me some roguelite elements and I will take them. Yeah, cool. I've got one sale coming up. I was going to ask about that because um, since you're looking at the possibility of doing another one, are there things that you conceptualized or you know drafted whether they're just simple sketches or things like that because obviously when we you know when I beat the game I saw all the sketches of some of the enemies in the game that were pretty good uh, you know pretty good analogs to what you actually see in the game and it sort of mm -hmm. showed your ability to sort of take that vision and translate it into the game but were there things that you left on the cutting room floor that you may want to develop later for let's say another uh, roguelite or randomized element type of shooting game uh, sketch wise I don't think so I think because I knew I was doing this by myself I was very there was a lot of planning in my head before I would actually put anything to paper. Once I was sure I was going to put something in the game, that's when I would start sketching it and uh, start translating that into the in-game graphics, for instance, just so there wasn't any wasted effort there. But as for uh, just general design, there, there was some stuff that got uh, cut very early on for scope reasons I did want to have a more branching originally I did want to have more branching uh, paths between the levels so I was I was actually thinking about having uh, like random events happen between levels that might uh, help or hinder you I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, FDL something to that effect um, so between encounters you you might find 
you know, there might be some text saying you found a derelict ship and you found and uh, would you like to investigate it? And if you do, then you might get randomly get say, oh, you found this many credits aboard, and or it might say you've been attacked and <laughs> you've lost your shields, you've lost a, a point of armor. But this was before I really uh, went into a more solid shmup direction, I guess. There was more, a lot more roguelike like in the original design document, I guess. Hmm. Which eventually just uh, made it, made way to a more action game, action-based game. Yeah, nothing else is immediately jumping to mind. Is there anything that's on that. the cutting room floor that you would have liked to add in but just didn't have the time or didn't fit well? There's a couple of boss ideas, for instance, stuff like that, that I can always uh, come back to, I think. I did, I don't know why, but I want to have a, an octopus boss, like a giant octopus. That was another sea creature, but didn't quite make it into the game. And I had an idea for, like, a joke boss as well, which didn't get put in just because it was too much effort for it to make a joke. <laughs> What was it like a giant dunny or what was it? <laughs> um, that's a good idea actually. That reminds me of like a Jeff Minter game or something. But I wanted to have uh, a giant conductor that could uh, call raining pianos down upon you. Oh. Um, as a kind of a reference to Sinemora or more how have you pronounced that? Oh, sure. That would be interesting. <laughs> I thought that would have been funny. But it got, that got cut before the uh, sketch phase got cut from my mind. Uh, I've mentioned this on stream several times when I was playing throughout the month, but the music in the game is one of the things that grabbed me. And I know you said that you worked with uh, Shmup community member Dolphin. Yes, to that's do right. That. So how did you connect with Dolphin, and and how did that all come about? It was very painless, actually. Uh, I <laughs> I mentioned that I was looking for somebody in uh, the Shmup Discord, Alex's Shmup Discord, uh, specifically. And Dolphin said, yeah, I might be able to help you with that. And I checked out what he'd done and thought, you know, this this is really good. I could, uh, I think we could make this work. And we did. I did originally have a little chat with um, Quester as well. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Quester. Oh, sure. He did the music for... Uh, I think he did the music for Steel Assault, and he's done the he did the music for, well, he's done the music for a few things. He's done some music for World of Horror as well, and Devil Engine. Devil Engine, that's what it's called. Yes, I really liked his uh, soundtrack for that, and um, I'm really sad about what happened with that game, to be honest. But um, yeah, uh, the soundtrack is phenomenal. So I was hoping to get him to help me out. 
but I was happy that Dolphin was available and did an amazing job as well. Yeah, I, I really have enjoyed the soundtrack and I'm generally a hard rock, heavy metal kind of guy, but I found mm-hmm. myself being more drawn to the mellow tracks just because of the atmosphere they create and how well I think they fit within the game. Yeah, that's that's all Dolphin. He he, uh, I didn't need to give him much direction, which was great for me because I wasn't really sure exactly what I wanted, to be honest. And he just kind of was able to run with it and really did a great job uh, fitting the music around the levels that I had created. Sometimes um, he had nothing but just an image of what like I had pictured the level was going to look like and uh, always came through. One other thing I appreciate about the game is even when there's a ton of bullets on screen, I feel like everything is pretty easy to read and I, I think that's a combination of the art style that you chose and then also the color choices for bullets and and enemy attacks and things. I think generally everything is pretty clear and easy to pick out. Definitely something that helped me, even with the things that were harder for me to read because of, of motion. Uh, so things the like curving those, bullets. the blade bullets, yeah, that would go yeah. in an arc. Those I still struggle with, but it's made easier because they're distinct enough that visually I can at least pay attention to those and I'm not distracted by the scenery or worrying about other enemies and things. Yeah, I feel like I've, I now have realized that I think I added a few too many of those curving bullets to the game <laughs> based on seeing you crash into them many times. <laughs> well... But, uh... <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't go changing them on my account, but certainly that was one one element that I have difficulty with and mm-hmm. uh, still struggle with. Yeah, something uh, different anyway. Every every shmup's got to have something different to deal with. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you mostly had thought the bullet visibility was was good because I did. There were many iterations to try and get that to be better. It was very chaotic at first, I think. Yeah, but I, I think you accomplished it. I mean, I think you you brought it to a place where the visibility and the readability is quite good. Thank you. I did make an effort. <laughs> So I'm wondering about some of the effort that went into the chatting Parodius uh, saying there, the oh, uh, get to the chopper and then one that sent off in the stream of uh, toot toot chugga chugga big red car in my head with <laughs> that one, yeah father of two here, that, that song is you know and, and this loop but <laughs> <laughs> so was, was yeah. I'm also a father oh. of two. 
and uh, have, yep. have have seen my fair share of the Wiggles <laughs> there. But uh, what were they just like a board you threw darts at to get to the sayings? Were they some of your favorite sayings, or it was literally just whatever jumped into my head, I would just throw it in there. Uh, yeah, I think I threw. Uh, through a question to the game dev room as well on Discord, and like anybody want to throw any random sayings or something to put in there? One of the ones that I remember coming back from there was just uh, uh, a line of hyphens, which looked like a laser beam coming out. Oh, that's great! And then get to the chopper. I have to say, the one that yeah. really got me though was the ahem. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I thought it would be amusing to have a particularly short uh, one as well, so that you couldn't actually hit anything with it occasionally. Yeah, and the interesting thing about that is that the I'm guessing that the spawn rate for this weapon is is quite low because it's very low. Yes. I got it on either my first or second playthrough. And then I didn't see it again until I actually used the the mud prints seed that you put into yep. the game to activate it right away. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I I can't remember off the top of my head, but it might it's something like one in three hundred chance for that weapon to appear. Oh, that makes yeah. sense. Um. I, I thought I put in a uh, a check to make sure it doesn't appear in your first few games as well, but I'm not convinced that's working because I I feel like I've seen it happen to multiple people where it's appeared right at the start of the game, and I'm wondering why how that happened. Yeah, because like I said, I I think it was my first or second run in the game. Yeah, it's not the sort of thing you want to see appear like when you're trying very first booting up the game and trying to learn what's going on. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, um, a little jarring to suddenly have no projectiles and just have yeah. the the megaphone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a good weapon, but it's a fun weapon. That's a good way to put it. It's fun to have in the game. But mm-hmm. it would you wouldn't want to build a strategy around it. No. If you if you upgrade it, it uh, the text changes color. Oh. Did you know that? Oh, huh. Mm-hmm. That's a nice touch. Do you keep upgrading? It does it change into like twenty four point font? Uh, no. It, all it does oh, is change still. color. And well, I can't. No, it gets it does more damage, but it doesn't. The only visual difference is. I don't think I, I had it long enough to upgrade it. Because no. one at the end, it's just a screen. It's more powerful than a bomb. It's a 24-point font. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a bad idea. I think it was difficult enough to get it to work properly with just keeping that one font size, to be honest. Well, a couple of the ideas that I thought were kind of cool were the map pieces kind of encouraging people to try different stages 
so that you could collect all the pieces of the map. I felt like that was a nice organic way of encouraging people to play more of the game and, uh, you know, engage more with it. But then also the seed idea, because you did, you know, the secret one for Mud Prince, but then the ability to sort of see um, as you go along what sequence you have or to allow people to just sort of type in a sequence and see what they get. It's a cool idea. Yeah, um, I know at least one person really ran with that. They, they found a seed that they liked and they would just play that again and again uh, rather than going full random. So that kind of, it was a, it was a, I was throwing a bone to people who wanted less randomness in the game, I guess, if they, if they so chose, so they could know what items and what, what bosses they were going to fight if they wanted to practice versus one particular set of circumstances, they could. Huh. Cool. So are there any other... Any other secret seeds besides mud prints? I did have a few, but I think they all pretty... Well, okay, there are a couple of other ones that I've used for testing, like to unlock all... There is one to unlock all the weapons and items, for instance, immediately. Oh, wow. There's, a, there's none that I have publicly mentioned apart from mud print uh, seed. Anyway, there were a few more secret ones that I had in there that got cut for time. Oh, sure. Or I just couldn't be bothered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. But yeah, either way, it's a it's a cool idea, and I may have to play around with that a little bit. Cool. Yeah. Um, I think I get, that was part of the inspiration from Binding of Isaac as well, because that has the same seed system. If you have a seed that you like, you can reuse it or share with friends. But in that game, it's more important because it's a lot more random, I think. Yeah, very much so. All right, so let's move on to impressions from the people who played the game with us. Our first impressions come from 410. I'm trying to join in. Time is tight, but when I heard... It was a September game, I checked it out, and the demo hooked me and left me wanting more. So I've been playing the full game for a couple of days. As a longtime fan of both shmup and roguelite genres, I was always pining for a successful hybrid of those styles. They don't seem to be incompatible, and so far, OS is working for me. I've only played for 106 minutes so far, but it has me hooked with a satisfying drip-drip of unlocks. And one more... Roll of the dice compulsively. Uh oh, I think we've turned 410 into a compulsive gambler. <laughs> Later on, I just had a decent run and made it to the sixth stage. Didn't finish it, but broke 200,000 at least. I'm not entirely sure when the unlock condition was, but I think I collected enough star map pieces. At least that makes sense conceptually. I don't have all the star map pieces yet, but I got good enough to, to complete a little cartoon map. 12 pieces, I think. Also, I noticed the synergy between Poison and Squadron. The Squadron normally shoots regular bullets, but it shot Poison bullets when I had Poison as my main weapon. I haven't noticed any other synergies yet, but I hope there are. 
That's one of the pleasures of good roguelite. And it, I think you might actually be mistaken there. Oh, Sorry no, to right. interrupt, but um, I don't think the squadron can fire poison bullets unless it's a bug. <laughs> <laughs> it's an undocumented feature. Yeah, that must be it. <laughs> Later on, and I got full clear on normal this morning. Sid Cobra, Benix, at, uh, let's see here, 196,250 points. So in terms of survival, is definitely my best friend so far. I amassed lots of firepower, full blaster, homing, mines, backshot. But I also had a lot of armor, which allowed me to keep going despite my fairly sloppy play. Hence the relatively low score. I noticed that the high, fifth highest score on the leaderboards is only four levels, so it does seem like avoiding hits and keeping the multiplayer up is critical, critical for scoring. Well, shocking, I know. Well, still, I'm still hot on this game. I think it should be worth noting all the references to other shmups in the shmup community. I've noticed allusions to classics like Gradius, R-Type, Truxton, Raiden, and Darius, as well as the little shouts to the Electric Underground and Shmump Junkie. I'm curious what other people will catch. Here are my top three normal runs so far. If you get clear on the run, the path is yellow in the leaderboard. There are a lot of ways to approach this game after full clear. First of all, as you can see from my top score, you can try and maintain the multiplier and go after score, and end up scoring higher than you might in a full run. I think killing bosses with a 100% multiplier is a trick, but I haven't played enough to be really confident of where the best scoring opportunities are yet. I'm also trying to explore different combos of weapons, usable items, passable items, to see if interesting synergies arise. <clears throat> Finally, I've dipped my toes into the hard mode, but I haven't put in sustained effort. You just have to edit this later. <laughs> you know, I put in the SpongeBob a few hours later. No, I'm kidding. All right. Uh, <laughs> A couple more notes from recent plays. I think there are two possibilities for the World 5 boss, and it might be random from which one you encounter, or perhaps it depends upon which path leads to level 5. In any case, one of them is a direct homage, <coughs> sorry, homage to an old friend from Salamander or Life Force. I like to build up a lot of offensive power on my run, so I will select the Corgi passive, which functions like a little high fire option that has some independence to its movement, but it's so visually distracting to me. I end up confusing the Corgi with my ship, and when the incoming bullets are especially complex. I'm curious if anyone else has experienced this, this situation with the Corgi. I can't say I ever confused the Corgi with my ship, but uh, uh, it's about the same size, so I could see where that could be at play in there. These spinning bullets are tricky because of the way they curve. One minor complaint I have is that with the way the few bullet patterns change direction, it doesn't seem like you can get hit by bullets that move off screen and then curve back in. I've been busy with work this week, but I've been able to squeeze in a few runs of the last boss rush and time attack modes. The latter is quite fun, and it's pretty intense from the get-go. One nice surprise I discovered in the last boss rush was the appearance of a new weapon called Horn which I have never seen the A-plus hours of normal runs. And that isn't listed in shmumps.wiki info. It seems to be a short-range weapon in a style like an audio speaker and sh shoots little bursts of text that damage enemies. It literally shoots pew 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 pew, among other things. 
And yes, you can use the sound clip if you want in the, in the next game. <laughs> I'll add that Caravan Time Attack is a great practice for the main mode. Point blanking to quickly take up bosses is the name of the game in Time Attack. <clears throat> so you get used to being in the thick of bullet patterns and living on the edge. Which is the only way to kill everything in time. Plus you gotta avoid getting hit to keep up your multiplier. So each run feels like a frantic gamble. And then when you shift back to the main mode, the game suddenly feels a lot more relaxed and open. My first few modes on normal mode after a couple of days of concentrating on the caravan mode yielded my best scores yet. I had a great time with this one. I don't think I would ever give it much attention if it weren't featured here, because the art style is not my thing. One of the main things I love about Shmups is his sci-fi pixel art. Something like Truxton or R-Type -type is my ideal, with scan lines, please. And honestly, it is possible that I may have not even heard of it because Operation Steel doesn't seem to have a profile, high profile in the online shmup communities, I forget, which is a shame because it's a blast. I'm grateful that there's a shmup gum, uh, sorry, <laughs> shmup club game of the month. Almost like Bubba Gump Shrimp Company or something there, alright. <laughs> As I mentioned before, I'm a fan of shmups, obviously, and roguelite, so I've always been wanting waiting for a killer combination of those genres. Operation Steel definitely succeeds in the sense that it feels like a good shmup while adding a fair amount of complexity and replayability from roguelites. The first few hours really were powered by a mix of me trying to get further in the game as well as trying to get all the unlocks and explore the different combinations. And yet I get the sense that BB really wanted to keep that shmuppy level of challenge and demand for memorization and quick reactions that characterizes the genre because I never let it count like I was able to put together a game-breaking amount of firepower. <clears throat> Some runs were more powerful than others, but I always had to keep my wits about me, and there were always bosses that I couldn't get past without getting hit, like Sagittarius in the Observatory. And part of me wanted to find myself in a run where I could just melt everything I faced, but it neither happened to me due to the bad RNG mojo, or it was designed to not really happen, and I think that aspect of the game will keep it appealing to more traditional shmup fans. The second half of the month was a really busy one for me, so I'm glad I got to put in a good amount of time in September. I agree with Guru that the hard mode was, dare I say, pleasantly accessible, especially after honing skills in normal and time attack. But I honestly haven't got a chance to try that many runs on hard. The real unexpected discovery for me was how light and fun the attack turned out to be. I haven't hit my goal on that one as I can definitely see myself coming back and giving another try. I'll finish with a question for everyone including BB. What did you think about additional content? I was a little sad when the content unlock train ended as part of my wishes there were more weapons and combos to explore. I would pay for a DLC pack honestly. But I can also see that as something nice in saying this is a finished game which is a limit experience that is not intended to keep spending forever. When I think of some of my most loved roguelikes like Isaac and Dead Cells, I have to admit that they mutated so much through expansions of DLCs that I missed the core gameplay I first fell in love with. I played the heck out of the originals and took a break for some months or years and then came back to the game that felt a lot different and slightly alienating experience for me. Hooray. <laughs> uh, I mean, you can. Uh, it's always nice to eat comments like 
is in Hasselhunter because you know that the passion is there. And, and thank you for pointing out and playing along with us. I'm glad you got a chance to try something and experience and found something enjoyable because that's what the Shmup Club is about. It's about trying new things and trying new games. And the good news is if you don't like the game, well, there's always another one next month. I think that there are out of the usual fare that everyone points out with you know your DOJs and your uh, rising games, their eighteens or what, your standard fare that everyone always talks about, it's definitely good to branch out because you never know what you may find, like you know a Toho Doom Clone or something like that. I swear we're not doing that for the next one, so only <laughs> <laughs> that one. But it's. Uh, it's always good to see what's out there and to expand and to shift from paradigm. And it's always nice when you find something that you can latch on to and say, this is this is cool. I have before. So thank you very much for taking on the time to type all that out. And it definitely shows the passion that you have for the genre and for this game. So thank you. Yeah, I really like seeing that. And in a month like this, when we have less participation, it's nice to see somebody really latch on to a game and find something that they can dig into and truly enjoy. I think we saw a little bit of that during uh, during the month when we played Project Starship X as well. So, yeah, it's nice to it's nice to see an independently developed game like this really get its hooks into somebody and be a big winner for them yeah it's it's great for me to hear that too i i really love that maybe you're not a huge amount of people playing the game but some people really really love it and put the time in right and want more <laughs> even i did address this on the uh forum uh, but i might as well talk about some of his points uh 14's points here asking for a dlc i i would like to but i don't think it's going to happen i think i would prefer to just start work on the next game to be honest which i have been planning but have not started yet i agree with uh saying that this is kind of the game and how it is and while it would be cool to have more in there I think I'm not confident that I could add more without diluting what's there I guess currently so there's not going to be a super sense. Operation Steel or Operation Steel Championship Edition <laughs> well maybe if maybe if suddenly uh, a whole lot of people buy the game I might be compelled to do that but <laughs> I think I'm pretty happy with the game as it is, yeah, in its current state. Yeah, I, you know, I, <laughs> I, in my opinion, I would echo those statements. I, I don't think that there is much that you could add to the game with without diluting your original intent. I, I There isn't if a motor feature on here. Well, it would be neat to see it expand upon by um, something like... We had talked earlier with, uh, I almost said Zero Range, excuse me, um, 
now I'm getting. I'm now it's my turn to have a mental stumbling block. It's not orange. It's the new black. What's the, what's the one with the zero ranger? There we go. There, yep. Yep. Yeah. So uh, to add modes like Good. zero ranger would certainly be neat, but I don't think it's a necessity. Yeah. Um. Something else that we hadn't talked about that we, uh, was mentioned was the scoring, which was not a main thing I was thinking about when I started making the game I guess it wasn't something I had ever experienced when I had started making the game like playing a game for score really it was more about just the survival aspect and then later when I was making the caravan mode that's where all the scoring fun is I guess or at least that's the intention you can play the game for score in the sense that each each level will in theory give you the same amount or almost like equivalent amount each time you play no matter which enemies you get uh, but the random nature kind of detracts from that I think or makes it more difficult to make it really fair, a fair playing field for scoring I think yeah with, with the roguelite elements and, and stuff with there I, I don't there has to be something that so sort of carries on there, I, I don't see anyone playing Operation, uh, sorry, Operation, sorry, uh, Project Starship X for score. There's not really that much of, of a need to respond, but there, there is that hook of replayability that Starship X does very well, and Operation Steel does very well with the unlocks. I, I don't really think that without doing a scoring or caravan mode, I, I don't think that score is really needed for these type of games. Well, at least in the sense that you, that you would against, let's say, uh, DOJ or Dodonpachi. Yeah, it definitely wasn't my focus, um, apart from that one mode, <laughs> really. But a lot of people played the Caravan too, which was cool to see, and competing for scores there was great. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but uh, Shmup Junkie ran a Caravan competition for the game before it was out. And you could play that in the demo, the uh, time time attack mode. I was not guru, and maybe. Yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, so that was that was awesome, getting people in the game and giving it a go, and that was just amazing for Schmup Junkie to promote the game like that too. Um, everyone's been really great at like getting the word out when they can, like in that sense I want to thank you guys for this too by the way because uh, you've you've done a great job um, with your like I'll, I'm always listening to your Shmup of the Month uh, podcasts and it's, it's cool that you d- wanted to run the game and have me on here well thank, thank you. you kind of taking a bit of a detour here <laughs> no, sorry sorry <laughs> it's I think if if the game was was I like to think that we keep keep it things fair around here. If if the game had some bad points on it, we wouldn't be afraid to tell you. But I, I think that having tried out the game itself, I don't really. I mean, I have a couple of nitpicks here and there, but it's not something that's going to keep me from recommending the game or the same people who more should try it you know it's 
not nothing can be in my view nothing can be perfect but it does a pretty good job of coming close for operation steel it's and scratches that itch and gives you something new there i uh, hope that uh, (laughs) i should say i'm still even what this is our we forgot to mention last month but we're now at 51 episodes uh, and i'm amazed that people are still listening so thank you to everyone who, who listens and you know gets some some form of an enjoyment out of it. We certainly enjoy making this. And uh, if you had told me that what four or five years ago I'd still be doing this, I would have thought you're crazy. With my, you know, I, I start out with a, a rock band mic and some uh, just stumbling all over myself and having difficulty speaking and, and not so sure of myself and. Uh, just how much how much of a difference it makes that that people that you you can put something out like that and people do care that you're not just throwing your voice out in, into the void it's always good to hear hear feedback from people and that people appreciate it yeah yeah well it's also humbling because obviously this is all just an extension of of the hobby of playing video games and being interested in the genre so thank you <laughs> um we- yeah. oh sorry go ahead oh no uh i was just saying yeah um thank you <laughs> um we're all we're all fans of the genre and we can all enjoy each other's contributions to the community Indeed. Uh, we also had uh, Brandon Brandon Guerra ninety seven who jumped in with us. Uh, he was actually one of the folks who won one of the codes that you gave us. Yep. And so Brandon said, "Why not? I'll join you guys. Going in totally blind. I haven't played the demo or seen anything about this game. So excited to participate. Man, it's been too long." And then later in the thread, he said, I think I'm starting to get the hang of this game. Got up to Libra before I perished. Uh, Let me tell you something. Arrows and options. A godly combination. But the arrows were stingy up until I, uh, I think, the shop before entering Area G. The progressive difficulty as you go along is definitely something I don't see a whole lot. I find myself taking a hit on purpose to scale back the difficulty if I'm fresh out of bombs. It's interesting, and it's most certainly going to take some time getting used to, but I'm enjoying it. And then uh, his last post in the thread said, So last night, I secured a new PB on stream. Had a really good run, and all the pieces fell in the right places, but as soon as I got to Timurin, I bit the dust. I can relate. (laughs) Pretty proud of this run, and my first time cracking 200k. Only thing that kind of blows is the face cam blocking the score during the run. Definitely got to fix this before my next stream. And uh, I know Brandon didn't quite beat the game before the end of the month, but he kept playing. And uh, I want to say a week ago, maybe a week and a half ago, he did manage to get a clear. Um, so that oh, was pretty nice. cool to see. 
That's cool. I didn't realize that, but yeah, he he put the time in. Yep. Yeah, and he definitely he definitely enjoyed the game as well, based on watching him on stream a couple of times, seeing his reactions and how much time he put into it. One of the streams he played, I think he played this game for something like three or four hours straight. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let's quickly go over the scores. Four uh, ten pretty much took the uh, the top scores in a couple places here. Uh, ended up with 268,780 points um, on normal. I My top score on normal was 250,810. And then Brandon's top was 223,540 in that aforementioned run. For time attack, uh, 410 ended up with 180,690 points. Uh, I only eked out 138,210 points. And as far as I can tell, nobody submitted scores for Boss Rush or Hard Mode. So on Boss Rush, I got 30,160. And at the time I did that, uh, which was at the end of the month, I was actually in the top 20 in the leaderboard, which I was pretty pleased with. Um, and then on hard mode, I ended up with 239,780. And that wasn't a clear, but I'm pretty sure I got to the TLB that run. Um, so that was, a, that was a good one. Yeah, nice. I think I remember that. That was one of your first goes at hard mode. Yeah. So, moving into final thoughts, I will kind of echo some of what Brandon and 410 were saying, uh, or were expressing throughout the month. This is a game that surprised me. I thought it looked good, and I was excited to play it, but I was not expecting how much I was going to enjoy this game and just how solid and well built it was especially for a first effort and just as a testament to the game's quality when uh, when I was putting the outline together for the podcast I sat down and fired the game up for a little bit so I could just sort of get into that headspace and got sucked right back in and uh, was totally you know, oh, one more run and I think it's I think it speaks to the just the level of quality and polish that this has even as a first effort so I gotta say hats off for a stellar first game and I'm looking very forward to what you do next because if this is your your first game, I can only imagine what your your third or your fifth is gonna be. <laughs> that's that's great. Fifth, I don't wanna think that far ahead, but um yeah, that's that's real awesome to hear. Thank you. What about you, Addicted? For me, I was surprised, but 
I think that as soon as I started to get in the flow of, or I should say, ever since we did start doing Project Starship X, I really, really like the idea of combining roguelites with shmups. I think it gives that necessary, you know, get that right amount of randomness that you can throw into an STG to, to make the loop more more so than just memorizing routes to get to the perfect route you know i i think that memorizing routes at least to me is is boring and <laughs> i will never be jamers i will never be a mark msx but i will still have a fun time playing shmups and my favorite way to play them is with some randomized elements i, I definitely <laughs> thought that it, the loops were, were fun. The unlocks were fun. I only small complaint was with a couple of the sound effects that didn't that didn't sound like that that they were as powerful as maybe they should have been. Such as the explosions, I felt like should have a little bit more depth to them. And then maybe a little bit of the starter weapon with the uh, squadron ship. I can't remember the ship's name, but it, it had the the. Not the one that charges, but the dual cannons. Yep. Those sound... The sit, sit yep. here, that just sounded maybe just a little bit weaker than it should have been. But the if those are my com- my only complaints or nitpicks, that should tell you how much I enjoyed the rest of the game. The graphics were great. I could always tell what the heck was happening on screen. When, you know, every single time I died, I knew where I had messed up or I... I knew, like, oh, I should have done this instead. And when I can put the blame on me instead of the game, that means that we've got good game design. I'm not dealing with Ghostblade. I like Ghostblade, but there are points where it can have pink bullets and pink backgrounds, or slightly slightly less pink backgrounds. But either way, it's easy to get that loss, and then you figure out, where the heck did that come from? No, this game doesn't have any of that. The art design was clear. I was able to tell where the enemies were. The hitboxes were good. The soundtrack was engaging. The only thing that <laughs> threw me off and took me a little bit is I thought I would crash into the scenery the first couple times I tried it. I thought, oh shoot, this, <laughs> this place is going to hit me. <laughs> but overall, I, I quite enjoyed what I was playing, and it really does have that gambling hook of that mechanic of one more try. I will definitely do that to keep you engaged and that's exactly what these type of games need you need that constant progression to keep you through I, it sounds sort of fan sounds like i'm hyping up a clicker or, or a mobile game but, but you really do need this type of element to keep people engaged for this <clears throat> to, to give you a fence oh what's this i just unlocked let's get going and i i think that this genre or th- this type of mashup in particular has a lot of room to grow and to grow the genre of STGs as a whole. I, I mean, I, I I'm continuously impressed by the innovation and passion that comes out of indies. I'm doing stuff that a big budget company like Konami, you know, heck, in their game jam that they hosted recently, they're acknowledging that a lot of the ideas for the next stuff is coming from there. Otherwise, they wouldn't have hosted it. It may be like Twin B Infinite Loop, but it's the same idea and same 
level ground that Operation Steel operates on. It's the future of our industry is coming from the the passion of personal projects. And I love to see stuff like this. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you for making the game. (laughs) You're welcome. It was a joy. Um, Something that occurred to me, well, just when you're saying that, I I feel like I underestimated how diametrically opposed roguelites and schmaltz can be. It's hard to find a good balance, I think, or at least you, you do have to balance those two things. I'm not sure that they are naturally, uh, they naturally fit together. Alright. I tried to, yeah, lean toward being a shoot 'em up before being a roguelike, a roguelike, I should say. And that was something that we had asked on earlier about like, how much randomness do you want in your STG? You know, do you want to go full random? Or do you want to go with a little bit more control? And it is hard to find that right balance. And that's why when you hit that formula and you, that's what makes it so good. You know, using Project Starship X as a, another example, it doesn't go full random either. You still get some chan- different chances and different starting points. There are still guideposts or guiding lights. But the, the fact that you're never really going to get the same thing twice is really integral in the gameplay and again what keeps it going yeah that's what I love too that's what that's why I wanted to make the game exactly that reason alright well what do we got coming up next well what we have coming up next in October 22 is Death Smiles you know I, I am <clears throat> it's another if, is this Cave no this isn't Cave's only um, horizontally scrolling SDG but it's one of the most well-known because of the 360 release. I have to say I'm enjoying my time with this, you know, with Casper, the friendly Shinigami, but it's uh, it's definitely different. It, it, it's very wacky <laughs> and out there. I don't know. Uh, some other thoughts for this, but it's, it's definitely <laughs> like one of not... If you were to think of Cave as a company, it's not something that would come to your mind on there. Most people would start with uh, Dodonpachi, then um, Esperad or Esperade, and um, think Espeluda. Those type of titles are what pe- come to people's mind. It, it, you know, Death Smiles is maybe a little bit above uh, Ibari or uh, Mochi Mochi Pork. But but it's de- it's just not viewed with the same pedigree. So it'll be a little interesting to see what the thoughts are. And are there any thoughts on this, Guru? Uh, this is a game that I've known about for a long time, but totally slept on it. And I'm enjoying it so far. I've got some nitpicks, but so far I'm I'm liking it. And then in November we have what was it same same same, right? Oh, same no, same same. Same same same. Yes, the infamous uh, fire shark for 
Jeez, it seems like Genesis Switch and PS4. Man, this this game's been all over the place, but uh, it's definitely a worthy title. This is one of the ones that it almost seems like we should have covered this sooner because so many people. This is uh, whether playing the arcades or on the Genesis. This was uh, a part of their childhood. Well, and this is one that um, I know playing this game is fulfilling one of the requests that we had a while ago uh, to get a game into the into the Schmuck Club. Yeah, good luck with that one. You were saying you wanted a game that was harder than Gradius 3. <laughs> Take bets on how much hair I have left by the end of the month. <laughs> well, this is why we have nice things like the M2 port where you can tweak that or the Sega Genesis port which actually has a very comfortable difficulty curve hmm. we also like to do a shout out to Ed of Studio Muppets for the logo and you know for rocking the uh, orange shoot the cork ass shirt I like to Thank Kogusu for the intro and outro music. Everyone at the RF Generation Playcast and Collector Cast. I'd like to thank Metalfro, you know, for his uh, always entertaining dogs and for streaming. Yeah. Yep. Uh, they definitely keep things interesting. They do. <laughs> and I would like to thank our special guest for creating Operation Remington Steel. I had a lot of fun playing it. Uh, Thanks, actually, if you made Pierce Brosnan into a DLC character, I'd probably buy it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. There's a small subset of our audience that's going to get that joke. <laughs> yeah, anyone who could still get the age question right on the capture for a VHS tape. Uh, that's true. Yeah, what's the Venn diagram there? <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, ben, is there anything you would like to plug or shout out? Any anything you would like to, I guess, close with before we finish up? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's been a great discussion. What else can I say? Just thank thanks guys for having me. All right. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you, and thank everybody for listening. I can't believe that we actually got people to listen for over fifty episodes. Well, thank you all for listening, and we will catch you next month. Thank you. <laughs>